Welcome to the Hassle-Free RE Podcast, a real estate podcast where we bring you stories, education, and tips for investors and real estate enthusiasts. If you're interested in investing in real estate or just want to keep a pulse on what's happening in the market, then this podcast is for you. Thanks so much for listening and tuning in. If you enjoy our show, please make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hassle-Free RE podcast. I am your host, Dave Menapace. And Kim Menapace here as well. As our co-host. <laughs> uh, and today we have a very special guest. He is actually uh, somebody that we are going to be collaborating with on an upcoming book, The Hospitable Host Volume 2, or maybe they're calling it HH 2023. But either way, uh, you're sure to see his name in print in the very near future. And we are so excited to have him on today uh, to share his story. So this guest is Alex Sabio, and he is joining us from California. And without further ado, Alex, why don't you introduce yourself, tell a little bit about yourself, and let's start at the beginning of real estate investing and bring it up to current. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here. Um, Alex Sabio, uh, married father of four, live here in Southern California. I kind of wish I had a better story to tell everyone, uh, but I think my story is a lot more common uh, than what a lot of the gurus kind of pitch out there. So I started investing in real estate in like 2004 uh, here in Southern California, and the market was going crazy at that time where you couldn't buy anything, you were getting outbid. Um, and so I bought my first uh, primary property in 2004, uh, went up $100,000 uh, within a year, sold it. And I said, oh, wow, this is an amazing thing, right? And I'm in healthcare. Um, and at the time, I'm a respiratory therapist. At the time, I think I'm making $40,000 a year. My wife is also a respiratory therapist. She's making about the same amount. And I said, wow, this house generated pretty much the same amount of income as me. Uh, and I'll never forget, my grandparents told me, my grandparents owned a boarding care facility, um, and they started investing in real estate in like the 1970s, 1980s in Los Angeles. And one thing I believe is that creating generational wealth has little to do with money and passing money down to people as much as it does inspiring the next generation to do something. And my grandparents had 12 kids. And for some reason, like none of them really followed into the real estate thing. But here I am one generation later, like just kind of watching in the background, seeing what they're doing, right? And having like, oh, wow, I think real estate's the thing. They never really had a sit down talk with me saying, you need to invest in real estate. This is what you need to do. But my grand grandma, um, she did tell me, and she's the most successful person I knew at the time. They owned boarding care facilities in Southern California in the 80s and grew them in the 90s. She said, you know what? I never really made good money until I invested in real estate. And it wasn't like she was telling me like amazing piece of advice, but there are these little nuggets that you hear in life for some reason, they just stick with you. And then I was like, oh, well, okay, I guess I'm going to just start investing in real estate. And so I started buying a bunch of long-term rentals out of state because the here in Southern California at the time, um, limiting mindset, right? Like those uh, properties didn't really work out. So I started investing in what I call revenue neutral properties, mm -hmm. um, long-term rentals all throughout the U.S., 
Um, and then the 2008 crash hit and I was greatly affected at the time. Um, I wound up buying a home near a hospital I worked at thinking I would try to self-manage and be a landlord, made every single mistake in the book. Um, wound up, uh, I think my mortgage payment was like 3,200 bucks. And that was like an interest only payment that didn't include an HOA payment, uh, right. that didn't include repairs, that didn't include vacancy. And I think I was renting it out for 2000 bucks a month, Ooh. right? Awful investor, right? You know, I didn't really put my heart into it. Um, internet wasn't a big thing back then. So it wasn't like I could just reach out and just Google something, you know, I was just going based on my gut. I think that would be a great house and it wound up not being a great house. So 2008 hit, um, and it seemed like the second I signed on the dotted line, the market completely crashed, held on that for a few years. And I just ran out of time, energy, money. Um, and I wound up having that property foreclosed on. Uh, a couple years later, I think I filed for bankruptcy. Uh, but I had all this knowledge with real estate. I said, you know what? Um, I knew real estate was the way to go. So I started jumping back into it uh, in like 2015, 2016 or so. Mm -hmm. I started growing my portfolio again. But I knew cash flow was going to be king. It was going to be what was going to save me at the end of the day. It couldn't be buying, uh, having a property with a $3,000 mortgage and then renting it out for $2,000. So that's kind of how I eventually I landed on short-term rentals. People were talking about short-term rentals in 2020. Um, I think I heard about short-term rentals in the past, but I really wasn't listening. Uh, another backstory, my great aunt, aunt, she owned a motel on the Las Vegas Strip. And I always thought that was cool. I thought hospitality was really cool. Um, and so I was like, huh maybe getting into the hospitality industry might work out for me, you know, and my CPA was telling me you should look into short-term rentals because they're generating so much income and you're going to get this amazing tax break. And really I, I, I looked into short-term rentals initially for a tax break. And then it wound up generating so much more income than I uh, anticipated. <laughs> and the, right. And then the other story is, see, I'm in healthcare and, COVID hits 2020 and I'm a respiratory therapist. I'm in the front of the front line of this. And so trying to get to financial freedom really became a need at that point. I remember the feeling that I had, you know, March, April, May, June, these patients coming into the hospital and there were some of the sickest patients I ever took care of. And I've done everything in respiratory therapy. I'm on top of my field. Um, I'm one of the better RTs in our region here. I've worked with burn patients, trauma patients. I've worked with premature babies as small as eight ounces. And these COVID patients were extremely sick. And I remember the feeling that I need to get the hell out of here. Like, I can't keep doing this. Like, this is, I felt like I was putting myself at danger. I remember the feeling that, and we didn't know what we were, what was going to happen at the beginning of COVID. We're thinking, should some of us hospital workers are going to get sick and die from this? And then so my should invest in real estate, like I was like, hey, I should invest in real estate for financial freedom became a must. Like I need to get out of here and really become free. And then short-term rentals came in at the perfect time. So anyway, that's kind of the long story there. <laughs> it gives me um, <clears throat> it gives me the chills because I 
um, though I was nowhere near frontline in healthcare, you know, when March of 2020 hit, um, I was in a role at my company that would, I liked to think of it as sort of like that keystone in an arch bridge. And when, because of the clients that I managed and what those clients meant to our bottom line as a company, you know, when they had to refocus their efforts and their finances and couldn't pay for our services anymore, um, I felt super threatened. I had never felt that way professionally. Working is something I've always been able to navigate and always been able to work through really challenging situations with bosses, people, dynamics. Like that was what I was really good at was navigating those fields. And then something I had never had experience with like COVID totally changed that. And I think that like you, for me, that really uh, lit what was already a burning fire, but kind of made it more like a bonfire. Like I needed to figure out something. And it's sort of when Kim and I put our heads together and leaned, you know, we had one property that was a short-term rental, but it really made us start to think bigger. So I can really, really relate to that. Um, And what's interesting, you know, so far about your story is that you've had, you've sort of had that threat a few times, right? And, And what's also really interesting is I wonder if you would have you know, I'd consider you to be a, a, a successful real estate investor. And without some of the pain that you felt in the earlier 2000s, you know, you are somebody that strikes me as, as one that sort of learns and grows and adds mm-hmm. to the foundation and then builds another floor and kind of masters it. Right. And in a lot of ways now, I'm sure in reflecting 2004 to 2008, probably helped you more than it hurt you mm-hmm. now that it's 2022 of course it didn't feel that way then but um those sort of areas really resonated with me and and yeah. Kim I'll let you jump in before I sort of ask some follow-up questions to that yeah wow there's so much to unpack and just that that intro covered a lot of ground um I think that you know definitely I remember Dave going through that kind of come to Jesus moment with his job in healthcare and saying, I was, I remember telling you, you're telling friends, I was scared and I don't want to ever be in that position again with an employer. And that's been a big driver for the last couple of years to find different ways to be financial free. Something I want to go back to earlier in your intro was um, with your watching your grandparents and how they invested in real estate. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard this phrase of lessons are caught, not taught. And I, mm-hmm. I think about that and how you kind of observed it and then latched onto it. And it wasn't pushed on you much at all. It was more uh, very passively um, uh, in your purview and you mm-hmm. latched onto it. And I'm curious, I, I'd love to deep dig into you. You are a father, it's a set of four kids. So, you yes. know, I don't know their ages, but I'm curious if they're, you see any of that um, happening now, or, you know, it could, if they're young, it's probably a little too early, but, um, yeah. I think that that was a really cool, um, tidbit I got from your intro among many other things. Yeah, we do talk about real estate a lot, uh, like at the dinner table, we've been doing a lot. But um, the cool thing about short term rentals is that 
you get to go to them. Like I own homes in Cleveland, uh, Huntsville, Alabama, Houston, like all over, right? We never visited those things, right? But the thing is with short-term rentals, we would take the family and they can see like all of these cool homes, you know, and they can, hopefully that inspires them to do something. I really do want them to do whatever they want and be happy with that. But they can see that if they need to generate money, old dad did this. This is what he did. So hopefully that inspires them or anyone else to do something greater than what they, you know, society wants you to get a job and just have a 30 year career or something like that. You don't have to follow that path. You could do something different. I think one of the things that I love about, I'll say about short-term rentals, but it's, um, but really, it's one of the things I love about the way that you do short-term rentals. And similarly for Kim and I is that we allow the short-term rental space to be, um, we allow emotion to be involved, not in decisions on when to make an investment, but in our attachment to a home. You know, our homes are strategically in, in locations where, yes, the numbers work great, but uh, we really enjoy vacationing at them and, mm. and, and letting the kids know that they have some ownership in these homes. And for us, it makes it a lot of fun, right? When we can go to Cape Cod for two weeks and spend a lot of really great time with our friends uh, and make a nice income off of that home, or we can go up to Maine, you know, we're going to, Logan's going to take ski lessons for the first time this winter at three and a half years old, and he'll get to stay at that, at that home. And so it's, it's just fun. You know, I, I, I agree with you. I think that it allows, um, it allows us to bring our kids into the fold. And even though they don't understand the whole business side of it at three and a half years old, mm -hmm. uh, he will at some point, you know, he'll yeah. learn it. And so will Brooke and, and it's really cool. So, so maybe now, maybe now let's start to look at some of your short-term rentals. So, sure. So in, in, in later in the two thousands now, so 16, 17, 18 ish, you start to get back into investing mm -hmm. and you eventually buy, maybe we just go into what your first short-term rental, you know, let's talk about purchasing it and just what you've sure. learned managing yeah. Yeah, so I bought my first short-term rental of August of 2020, um, and it was in the middle of COVID, and it was weird because at the time, nobody was buying homes. There was like this really short window where like people thought the economy was going to fall off the side of the cliff, and the home that I purchased sat on the market for over 40 days. Like nobody was buying it, and it was brand new construction. And I live here in Southern California, and I had no idea where the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee was. I mean, um, and I would put out a rookie question out there. I put out a rookie question out there, where's the best place to invest in short-term rentals? Because it was a new market for me. And I got some hate. Like some people were like, you shouldn't be asking such a stupid question on your, do some research before you ask something. You know how the internet trolls are, but it was kind of weird. Like a lot of people kept saying you should look into the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. I'm like, where the hell is that? I have no idea where the heck that is, right? <laughs> and then, um, so yeah, I went and visited in like July, 2020. And 
at the time everyone's still wearing masks everywhere i go i go to you know gatlinburg tennessee nobody's wearing a mask i'm like what the hell's going on here right like there's so many people no no one's wearing a mask and and it was like completely crowded and i was like oh wow i understand the market there's so many people here and there's not enough places to stay and if any of you guys are thinking about investing in an airbnb or short term rental in a market just rent one yourself Right. And then you'll go through the process because I saw all the listings like, oh, these ones have hot tubs. These ones have views. Maybe I don't, I want this one instead. And this one is a little bit closer to town. So you go through the same exact process that a future potential guest will go through. And you'll learn a lot just from that. You'll be like, oh, OK, I need to buy something in this area. So went there August of 2020, bought that one, um, kind of sat on it over the weekend. I'm, I'm surprised nobody snatched it up. Um, before that, I was buying sixty to eighty thousand dollars C class properties, and here I was buying something ten times more expensive. So it was extremely uncomfortable for me, and I was putting every single dime I had into this. I mean, I think I had five thousand dollars left in my bank account after I closed. Mm -hmm. Mind you, we don't know where the economy is going. Mind you, I've gone through a foreclosure, bankruptcy, made bad decisions in the past, but I said, you know what? For some reason, this speaks to me. And maybe it was from my history, from my grandparents, from my great aunt, and staying in short-term rentals. And so we closed on that property August of 2020, and it seemed like the buying frenzy just hit like a couple months later or something like that. Um, and that's when the properties started skyrocketing in price. Right away, our first guest, we wound up, someone booked $500 a night times four nights. I said, whoa, like this mortgage is completely paid for, like within this first guest right and we didn't know what the heck we were doing right. right everyone always talks about oh it was so easy it wasn't easy at all there's a learning curve there right um but i knew i felt like i had an atm machine here i was like whoa this is crazy and i felt like i needed to get as many of these atm machines as possible and shortly after like three months later my wife was able to quit her w-2 job as a restaurant therapist and get away from the huge surge of covid so accomplished one of those goals wow um so is it in pigeon is it in gatlinburg that it's actually in pigeon forge yeah it's a four bedroom three bath um and it's in a community where every single home is a short-term rental and I didn't know those existed. I had no clue, right? And then one thing that's grown from that is I was able to network with a lot of other investors too. I that even was created be my like question. a Facebook page. Yeah, I, I created a Facebook group page that's like, hey, this is the community called Bear Cove Falls. And I'm like, let's you know collaborate. And then like the other communities I've invested in too, I, I do the same type of thing. So yeah. So when it's interesting because your first short-term rental was so far away from your primary residence. We ours have been drive-to destinations that are in New England, but are not too far from us, not a plane right away. So, walk us through kind of getting your cleaner and any other connections you needed to there. It probably helped having that those that networking opportunity. But yeah, getting set up and situated, being so far away yourself. Yeah, it was probably beneficial. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, right? Because I probably wouldn't have done it, right? I kind of just dove in and it was like, oh, you need to do this, this, this. I'm like, okay. So really it was about networking with as many people as possible. At the time it was like, let me just find as many people um, doing the same exact thing. 
and I spoke with anyone and everyone who who wanted to talk to me here. Um, so finding a cleaner, like I'm big with relationships, finding a cleaner was just talking to someone. And then they were like, I have an amazing cleaner. And at the time I was helping them, like giving them referrals to some of the long-term rental stuff that I was doing in other states and, and, and different um, uh, mortgage brokers I work with. And then they're like, you know, you've been so giving with your time. If you need help with a cleaner, here's my cleaner. And I still have that same cleaner today. And I don't give her name out anymore because I found that she's starting to grow and uh, she's pretty good. And I'm like, mm, don't give her name out anymore because at a certain point they get bombarded and they're overwhelmed. So really finding the right cleaner was like 80% of the work. Um, it was brand new construction. Um, so having a handyman wasn't like the most important thing to tell you the truth. There's what you'll find is that there's hundreds of handymans out there. You don't need to be married to one guy because uh, a lot of times when you need them, they they might be busy, you know. And so get a Rolodex of like a dozen handymen. Um, and I had the builder like it was still under warranty. So anytime anything happened, I actually called the builder first and he'd go over there and fix it. Nice. Um, so that kind of helped out right there. So. Yeah, I've found one thing that also plays in our favor is, you know, especially when we bought the house in Maine, we replaced certain, not too expensive, but certain capital expense items like uh, for example getting high-end washer and dryers in there and mm -hmm. just paying the extra few hundred dollars for the five-year coverage you know right. because it's hard to find somebody that can specifically fix certain right. things yes um so you know and then on the opposite end in cape cod where we also manage several properties now too we've finally found a great cleaning company that mm -hmm. also has a landscaping arm that also has a light construction arm yeah. and they're savvy enough to, you know, we don't really blow out light bulbs anymore with everything led, oh. but you get, you catch my drift. Like if something right. needs attention, it can be done quick. So, yeah. um, the one thing there, too, oh, sorry. Yep. I, I think being 2000 miles away helped out in my growth. And I'm such a DIY guy. I, I fixed everything in my own house. And I think if the house, and I'm cheap as hell too. That's the one thing you guys don't know about me. So the thing is, if the house was like next door, I would have been over there fixing it. Yeah. And so my growth process to grow the business is, okay, dude, let go the, pay the 35, 50 bucks an hour and then ship the parts to that guy and then they'll do it. Right. Right. And I think that was a learning it's it, I still have a hard time I still want to go over there and do everything because I want to be hands-on but there's no way you're going to be able to really expand and grow your business you could do well you could have one two short-term rentals if you're going to do everything I have I have a friend who cleans all over Airbnbs and I'm like I would never do that I, adv I highly advise you not to do that uh, but she likes doing it or at least that's what she tells me I think she's lying to me you know but um, I, I I don't see her being able to grow with that mentality. Right. You know, right. and so you do need to change and you need to put yourself in that CEO uh, chair and mindset to be able to grow. Right. Right. So how many short-term rentals uh, do you own now? So we have five. Um, we were closing a sixth one here, maybe next month. And 
things still don't go your way all the time. Uh, our sixth one here, we're building. Uh, we got it under contract in December of 2020, uh, December 2020 prices. So I still got a deal. It's been new construction and we've had a lot of like setbacks with uh, COVID and, um, you know, the supply chain issues. So I had a four bedroom, five bath indoor pool cabin being built in the Smokies. And my realtor walked it last month and she's like, they built you the wrong house. I'm like, what do you mean they built me the wrong house? So they built me a three bedroom home by accident because they built like the wrong floor plan. So things don't ever go your way, right? You kind of just <laughs> roll with the punches. It's still going to make money. It's still going to be a great rental. I'm still salty about it, but what are you going to do? Right. Things could be worse. Things wow. in life could be way worse. I've been through way worse and we're just going to keep moving forward. So, Are all of them in the Smokies or um, just a portion of them? Yeah, so we'll have three here. Uh, we'll close a third one here in the Smokies. Um, one of the things, it was a bucket list thing for me to own a home on the beach. I didn't care which beach it was. I never thought that was possible. Coming from where I came from, having a foreclosure, having a bankruptcy, growing like lower to middle class uh, all my life. Um, I always walked by these beach homes. And I was like, how the heck is that possible? What the heck are they doing? I'm working a ton of overtime and there's absolutely no way I could afford this. And at a certain point, I had my long-term rentals. Uh, they were cash flowing 100, 200 bucks a month and had some equity. And I said, you know what? Let me 1031 exchange that. So I got three uh, properties in Gulf Shores, Alabama nice. by the beach. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> smart, smart, yeah. smart, smart. Yeah. Um, so do you own, do you have any partnerships or, or do you and your wife own these all um, just amongst yourselves? Uh, for the most part, one of them, we do partner with my brother. We we're 50, oh, nice. 50 on it. And partnerships are really like, I get asked to partner all the time. They have to mean something to me. Uh, so my brother, he's never owned real estate. He didn't know what a mortgage was or anything, but he just kind of kept seeing what I was doing. And I was like, look, dude, okay, if you want in, I'll go 50-50 with you. I'll show you the entire system. I'll walk you through it so that way you grow. Um, and I even told him, like, I put half the money down. And whenever he needs money, I send him money. I said, just pay me back the money, and then I'll let you have the house at a certain point. So that's going to help cool. him get to financial freedom. Hopefully. Right, right. Um so you, so the first one was in August of 2020 and then yeah. um pretty quickly did you just focus on the Smokies and then go to Gulf Shores or did you kind of bounce back and forth between the two Well right away like I said we felt like we had an ATM machine and to be honest with you when we were first shopping in July 2020 any one of those homes we toured like I don't know 12 to 15 homes any one of those homes that we bought would have been a gold mine um and like two, three months later, it, it even took me a while to really understand short-term rentals. Like this was going to be a viable thing. Still not listening, right? Like even though all this cash, even though all this cash flow is coming in. Um, and it was like two, three months later, I went back to my agent and I said, I want another one. And then she said, well, that same builder that built your house is building another community and it should be done in like seven months. And I said, I want one, give me one. And it was weird. People still weren't buying at the time, right? And then, um, and then I went back to her. I said I felt like I made a mistake. I should have got two or three of them. 
And she said, well, they already sold out. The builder's building another community um, and we'll just wait for that one. So, but yeah, that, the, the second one was in the Smokies. And then at that point, I think we're cash flowing maybe $12,000 a month on average. And then it was like, let's do whatever we can to get more. And then we 1031 exchanged last year. Um, yeah, about 12 months ago from, uh, yeah, about a year ago from uh, today. So that's great. I, Gulf Shores, yeah. I'm curious to hear, um, and for some of our listeners aren't familiar that, um, that the Smokies really exploded since you first invested there in 2016, mm. right? So um, how is it different today? I, I've, hear, I've heard a lot from other podcasts and um, bigger pockets and just the short-term rental space that it's become very saturated and busy there and it can be harder to crack in. There's a, the number mm. of listings has grown. So yeah, I'd love to hear what's changed in the time that you've, since you started investing there. Well, I definitely believe it's saturated. Um, the The numbers have come down a little bit. I would say my, uh, you know, we had a COVID bump and everything. So I think my numbers have gone down about 15, 20% my revenue. But you're talking like the first house generated $135,000 a year. And and now it's generating $110,000. Boo-hoo, right? <laughs> so it's still generating a good amount of money. But I think you do need to stand out. I think we're in a different part, uh, a different time right now where buyers can be picky right now. So when you're out there looking for a home, just be really picky. Make sure it stands out. And I think you'll be okay. The fundamentals in the Smokies are still there. There's still a ton of people that go. If you have an amazing property with an amazing view, I buy homes with indoor pools now because a lot, not a lot of homes have pools. And so that's a one amenity that's going to drive you um, to still get booked. Even if the market softens even more, um, there's so many people that will come no matter what. Um, and you're going to have a property that stands out. So makes perfect sense. Do, um, do you fully, uh, do you operate the short-term rentals yourself? Does your wife do any of the operations or is it all, is it all you? Um, it's definitely my wife. Um, I do a lot of the acquisition parts. I'm like obsessed with trying to get more homes and networking and stuff like that. Um, she won't ever do a podcast interview. So <laughs> that's not her thing, you know? Um, but you know, our CPA initially guided us and she said, Hey, Tanya, um, you need to retire from your W2 job. And she was all for that. She said, I'm in, you know, and, but then part of that was going to be, Hey, you're going to have to do some of the real estate stuff. And so she handles the day-to-day -day operations where it's, she's managing guests, troubleshooting things, contacting our cleaners and our handyman. If there's things that are broken. Um, the cool thing about short-term rentals and we're managing from 2000 miles away, right? right? You can get some help from people 15,000 miles away. And so we've hired virtual assistants now to help with even a lot of the mundane tasks where, you know, we've pretty much spelled it out for them. It could be like, like checking in on our Wi-Fi door locks to make sure the battery's okay. Do that uh, every two weeks or um, bookkeeping. Bookkeeping's a pain in the butt for us. So a lot of times it's like, hey, grab the... Um, the mortgage uh, statement once a month and file it in our Google Drive. So that way it's easy for our bookkeeper. So a lot of, she, she helps us out with a lot of the bookkeeping uh, and we're getting her on board to um, like the guest management and stuff like that. So. When, uh, when Kim and I 
first launched Sunny Days Cottage, we probably expended like three times collectively, three times the amount of energy that we had to because we were mm -hmm. both getting the Airbnb notifications. We would accidentally message guests on top of each other with different mm. answers to the same. Yes, <laughs> we did that. Oh my God. That was at a certain point. I said, I can't do it. I just, I got to let you answer. And if you answer a way that I don't like, I got to live with it. I'm sorry. You know, so um, that's healthy for a marriage too. If it's a husband and wife, just one person deal with it, you know, and knowing that you're going to make mistakes along the way. You're not going to answer every single guest the right way. Just have that one person answer and go go with it. Because we were doing the same thing. Oh, yeah, sure. You could check in early. Absolutely not. You can't check in early. And the guest is like, what the hell's wrong with these people? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and automated messages definitely helped to overcome a lot of that. But there was definitely a time probably about 18 months ago where Kim and I really had to sit down and we didn't have to build out a business plan for this thing, but we just sort of had to be like, okay, Dave's going to do this. Kim's going to yes. do this. And since then we each have the autonomy to collectively run our parts of the business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, what I do is a lot of the operations and acquisition right now, a big focus on for our, us has been building the management company. So I do a lot of meetings with other realtors, which is natural because mm -hmm. I'm a realtor, mm -hmm. but Kim does a lot of the business strategy and that admin oversight and just, you know, I tend to leave, a, I can move quick and cover a lot of ground and there's always going to be a messy trail of dust behind me. Right. And mm -hmm. so Kim kind of organizes that to make the back end of tax time a lot easier, but it, it, it's interesting because again, a lot of our listeners either have one short-term rental and are really thinking about making it more of a viable business, or they don't have any, and they want to buy one. And right. we do now coach people on think about what it is you want to do in the business and start there and don't overlap because it is yeah. challenging. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious, but right, right. to be a, fair, yeah. Dave jumped in on my guest communication. I was supposed to be doing it. Um, I think right. that it's also important. Dave we've, Dave, we've also had our role shift over time. I think that the first year, um, I think I took the lead on guest communication and cleaner coordination. And that's I think 180 now I've actually turned off notifications on my phone for VRBO and Airbnb. We've also had two kids in that time and Dave switched into becoming a real estate agent full-time and now does the short-term rentals as well. So I think that's also um, important to note that these things can evolve and change as, especially as long as you've been doing this. So um, I'm sure with your wife and you, you've also evolved and things that it's not stagnant. Yeah. You're always being dynamic yeah. with what is needed in the, yeah. you know, in the present um, and things have changed since you started. Yeah. And perfection is the enemy of progress. And I think a lot of times we want to be perfect. Just get out there and start. You're going to make mistakes along the way for the person that's investing in their first one. I see a lot of people do get, they do get into just analysis paralysis because they want the system to be perfect. Just jump in there, start figuring it out. You're never going to know. Right. And you're right. going to start evolving and changing your system, kind of like how you guys just did. We're doing the same exact thing. And that's not uh, that's, that's something very common. Right. So. Right. What would you say uh, some of your 
near and longer term future goals are within this industry for you and your family? Yeah, so that's probably like my Achilles heel. I don't have those clear cut goals. I knew for me it was, okay, we're going to have a set of principles when we start this. And one of them was we're going to be authentic. So we're going to tell the truth. We're going to, we're going to tell people all of the horror stories that, you know, we're not going to hide that we have the foreclosure or bankruptcy. I know a lot of people want to like pump themselves up. Like they've done all these things that are amazing, but I'm like, yes, guests can be a pain in the butt. I'm letting you know. And, you know, I've made mistakes along the way. So we're being authentic. And one of the things uh, one of our other core principles is we're going to just start helping as many people as possible. And so during COVID, like a lot of us healthcare workers, I'm gonna let you know, we were miserable. It was really tough on us. But they looked at me and they're like, what the hell's wrong with that guy? He's got a huge smile on his face, right? And it's because I was financially free. I knew that if I walked away today, I was generating an income from the short-term rentals. And so when you're working at your job, not necessarily because of money, because you enjoyed helping people, it it's totally different, right? There's a different attitude there. And so at a certain point, all the healthcare workers, they kept coming up to me and asking me, what the hell are you doing? And I was free to give them all the information. Here's my realtor. Here's my lender. This is exactly why I'm investing in this area. So then the goal wind up changing. Because the thing is, if money is your goal, that comes and goes. Money's no big thing, right? And so you have to have something behind it. And for me, it was to me, I became obsessed with helping people. Like I was spending three, four or five hours after my 12 hour shift talking to other investors. At a certain point, I got exhausted. Like my, I was losing my voice. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And so I started hosting weekly meetups. I started my Facebook group to help other healthcare professionals invest in real estate. And so that's kind of been my passion lately, just helping others get to the same space that I'm in. And then when they kill it more than me, I get more juice out of that than they do. I'm like, wow, that's pretty gratifying just seeing uh, that I kind of nudge someone go into the same space and and even take the business off to, you know, higher levels than what I could have done. So that's kind of my my goal. Like the monetary goals, I'm already there. Like to me, I've already replaced my income. And so now it's kind of like, well, what else are you going to do with your time? Can you help others do the same thing? So that's awesome, man. That's yeah. really, really cool. And I like how open you are about that vulnerability. I just listened to a mm -hmm. podcast this morning from um, STR Secrets and uh, Natalie Palmer was talking about how she she said what you typically feel embarrassed or don't want to talk about is probably where people are going to be able to relate to you the most. And so for her, yeah. she started short-term rental, uh, short-term rental from her parents' house in the um, at Big Bear. And she said, mm -hmm. I didn't want people to think I just had you know a silver spoon and I, I was super spoiled and it was handed to me. Um. So, but mm -hmm. she said talking about that more has actually triggered people to think creatively and say, oh, I yes. actually have access to that too. So it's yeah. cool. I think it's great that you're so open and honest about that. I think vulnerability creates that connection and speaks to people. Yeah. And I think when I started doing that more, I realized my story was a lot more common than all of the other like success stories. Like there's so many other people that fail and it's okay to do that. You don't want to go through foreclosure or bankruptcy. I'm trying to guide you out of that. Don't do it, you know? And so just listen to me. But I think that's how I've connected with people because be, just being authentic and being honest with what, you, what you've what you gone through, I think people connect with that even more. So, 
I, I totally agree. And um, I think you've, I think it's really cool also how you've sort of, uh, I don't know if this is the right way to describe it, but at some level you've sort of niched it down. You've, you've really focused on uh, the immediate sphere of people that you want to help which I think is really cool too. Um, just, I relate to that a lot, just being in, in the healthcare space, a different type of healthcare industry, but, uh, something about that resonates with me. And I had seen some of your face, you know, before you and I got to really meet, I had seen some of your Facebook posts and some of the meetups. And I just thought, man, that is really neat. It's really it's really, really cool, especially yeah. when you are on the provider side, because mm -hmm. I think that you do spend a lot of time, energy, and money. And then as a professional, it's hard to be as relatable to people who are outside of healthcare because you're just dealing with different types of challenges, all in the same uh, spirit of helping people. But I think that a lot of healthcare people really relate people in healthcare really relate to each other, even if they're in it like me, or, mm -hmm. you know, you're in, in a provider type of role. So yeah. I just, I think it's really, really awesome that, that you've, you've been able to do that. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's that like, you're right. A, a goal doesn't always have to be, I want to make this amount of money, or I want this amount of time back. It can be, I want to help this type of person, you know, specifically or, or help people kind of reach their goals and dreams. Yeah. Cause I totally related. I mean, we, it was weird because I think, um, crossing disciplines, like respiratory therapists were talking amongst respiratory therapists, there was nurses, and then there was doctors. We didn't talk finances amongst each other. It's kind of weird, you know? Right. <laughs> and it wasn't until whoever you are, just tell your story. I'm going to let you know that you're going to relate to somebody out there. Someone's going to hear it and just relate. And I just started telling my story and everyone was like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, I, I went through the same thing or it wound up being vacation homes. That's something I could get into. Right. I can understand that. And then I was like, oh, you're not paying anything in taxes now. How do I do that? Right. And so um, a lot of healthcare workers are like, well, I do want to invest in real estate. Vacational homes sound cool, but I don't have the time for that. And I'm like, well, this is a system I created mm -hmm. where we're spending 15, 30 minutes a day. And my wife was able to retire from her W-2 job. And then it became, oh, that's what I want to do. And so, and it wound up happening that like a lot of healthcare workers had the same like goals they they wanted the same stuff so just tell your story you never know who's going to be listening it's crazy because people from high school who I never spoke with like all of a sudden they reach out to you like 20 years later like hey I've been watching your story it's pretty inspiring um how do I get into it so right and that was going to lead you know as we start to wrap this up here my next question was going to be uh and it still can stand, but what advice would you give to somebody who is starting out or want to get into this space? So if you have any additional <laughs> advice for anyone, yeah. what might that be? I, I think networking is going to be your biggest ROI. I mean, it doesn't cost anything for you to reach out to someone on Facebook or Instagram or um, 
you know, just message someone or have a phone call, have a conversation. You never really know what conversation you'll have that could completely change the trajectory of your life. Like that was one of the conversations I have. Some uh, investor just reached out to me and she said, I'm generating $24,000 a month with three short-term rentals. I'll still remember that conversation, you know, forever. And that kind of just that one statement, I was like, oh, well, tell me more. Maybe that's something I want to do, you know? Um, so really just network, get out there, just start meeting people. Because maybe short-term rentals isn't going to be your thing either. You might hear something someone else is doing. They might be making money investing in like midterm rentals, marketing to travel nurses, marketing to insurance companies. And maybe that speaks to you more than the short-term rental stuff. But you're never going to know until you get out there and have those conversations with other people. That's powerful. So, um, of course, we'll have a whole bunch of links in the show notes, but while we still have you, Alex, how can people find you and uh, get to communicate or network with you? Uh, I'm pretty active on social media. Um, you could find me at the real Alex Sabio on Instagram. Um, you could find me on Facebook, uh, Alex Sabio. If you're a healthcare professional, you're more than welcome to join my healthcare professionals investing in real estate Facebook group. That's where I, I, I pour a lot of my time and effort in there trying to post like once a day, like little value tips on how to, um, you know, automate your business or how to automate pricing. And that's where I have um, uh, guest speakers come on once a week um, and we talk about a lot of short-term rental stuff. And sometimes it's not short-term rentals. I try to mix it up with like store self-storage or multifamily or, you know, um, I have one that's pretty interesting coming up soon. He's uh, the points partner or something like that, where he has a bunch of credit cards where he travels for free. And so, you know, sometimes I mix it up with that. So anyway, find me on those platforms. I'd love to talk to you. So Awesome. All right, Kim, anything else before we, uh, before we finish up here? No, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much, Alex, for sharing your story. Thank you, guys. I agree. Thank you.